This program has references to family violence, men's violence, and violence in general. Please take care and turn off the podcast if it is triggering for you. People impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse can contact 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732, a 24-hour national sexual assault, domestic and family violence counseling and support service. This podcast is recorded as part of Safer Pathways Project in Prevention of Violence Against Women, funded through the Australian Government's Department of Social Services. The views presented in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the funder nor of MCWH. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. I pay my respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging and I acknowledge that as migrants to this country, we benefit daily from the displacement of Aboriginal people and colonization of their land. Hello, I'm Vahide from Multicultural Center for Women's Health, and you're listening to Making the Links, a prevention of violence against women project that aims to help migrant and refugee women living in regional areas that are experiencing or at risk of family violence and sexual assault to access support services. Why do we say migrant and refugee at MCWH? There are lots of terms that people use to talk about migrant and refugee communities. At MCWH, we use the term migrant and refugee to describe anyone living in Australia who was born overseas or whose parents or grandparents were born overseas in a predominantly non-English speaking country. We say migrant and refugee to highlight the impacts of migration and settlement process on women's health and well-being. It reminds us that the barriers we face are mostly because of systems and policies, not because of cultures or countries we come from. Today in this episode, I will be talking to Zia Ibrahim. Zia came to Australia in 2007 as a 13-year-old refugee. Zia went and finished and completed his studies in social work at Flinders University. Zia has worked in refugee settlement and assistance since 2012, first at Migrant Resource Centre and then at Sanrazia Mali Ethnic Communities Council. Zia is now working in Sanrazia Community Health as a refugee health access worker, a social worker and a family violence practitioner. Zia is also the president of board for Hazara community of Miljura, Victoria. In this episode, I will be talking to Zia Ibrahim on the importance of engaging faith leaders in prevention and intervention of violence against women. Zia, it's great having you here in this episode of Making the Links. Uh, Thank you for being here. Uh, As we know, violence prevention and intervention is more effective through engaging communities and people themselves. For example, in faith communities, key people to talk to about prevention of violence against women are faith leaders. I think my question to you here is why is it important to engage community leaders or faith leaders? Uh, Why is it important for them to understand family violence and the services that women can access? Now, we have about 120 cultures residing in harmony in regional area in Miljura. And it could be more. 
I could be wrong. But so far, my understanding was it that uh, I think there was information that we had a discussion with Major Rural City Council and Mayor actually highlighted that there's about 120 flags at the information center and uh, they're representing the amount of cultures residing in, in Miljura area. Now, I only can speak on behalf of the Hazara community that, you know, it is a minority group of ethnicity group of Afghanistan, uh, where I am actually belonging to. Um, for us, I personally would say it is really vital that we engage, especially our community leaders and our faith leaders uh, to be uh, aware uh, of family violence, uh, you know, understanding what it is and how they can actually support the community as a collective to prevent and stop violence against women and children. So I think um, when I'm talking about faith leaders versus community leaders, my concept is quite different. And lately, uh, since 2016, I believe, uh, there is a lot of reform and restructure of the community leaders has been happening within the Hazara community. So back in, uh, so I start back in 2007. So back in 2007, there were five Afghan families or Hazara families residing in Mildura. And my family was one of them. <laughs> so we had a very minority group forming. We didn't even have religious or faith leaders to really support us with religious or cultural uh, attributions, including, you know, marriage, uh, ceremonies or, uh, you know, making it more uh, religiously um, appropriate marriage or when we had a funeral, we had no proper person to conduct the funeral, all of those kind of things. So we didn't have a, a faith leader up to 2010, I believe, and the community were actually linking back with the other faith leaders from Melbourne or uh, metropolitan areas, Adelaide and so on, and bringing someone who was specialized in the religion to conduct uh, religious activities and uh, practices, yes. So since then we had elders of the community uh, taking the leadership of the community. To me, that was really vital for the community leaders that are not religious or faith leaders to be um, more, they had more vital roles playing and influencing the community as a collective. And if there was a family violence incidents or family violence issues back then, uh, normally it would have been resolved within the community before the police arrives and so on, which downplays and undermines the authority of the woman uh, and their say in, the, in that incident. Therefore, it was highly risk um, that the issue was not being resolved, but to the favor of the men, it was actually happening. So, rewinding back for, fast forward, back in 2016, when the new legislation has amended and we seen a reflux of refugees arriving in Meljura, and community leaders are stepping down based on the things that they were unable to comprehend or unable to um, lead the community in a good direction. A lot of community members were actually highly educated or links in services. We had about 30 family members, like including men and women, actually working in the family violence sectors, working in the health sectors, working in the community uh, and settlement sectors as, a, as bilingual workers and interpreters. And they had to be informed and updated with the knowledge around family violence. Yes. 
And uh, making uh, and seeing is that since 2007, the community leaders haven't done much for the community, not even uh, supporting community in establishment of a community center or a hire of a, a building for the women to get together to have their IGM or they have their meetings or they have to have improved their education and so on. The community did not have it. And a lot of people raised the question that what is actually going on? What is this community leaders really doing that is not working for the community's favor? Therefore, uh, uh, the organization's structure as a community uh, had changed. So now, uh, since 2007, we have leaders in the community that are actually highly um, aware and educated uh, that takes the leadership of the community. And we have a community leader who is very highly educated as well, uh, that uh, governs in a way that actually employs the faith leader. So faith leader has a special uh, contract to only deliver what they have capacity but the rest has to be accordingly to the Australian constitution. Yeah, so one of the example I could give is that if a woman is getting married, for example, or if a child is getting married under 18, the, it comes back solemnly the responsibility of the community leader that has to report to the board that why it is actually happening against the Australian constitution or Australian traditional law, why the child is actually underage marriage. So therefore, um, the community uh, leader, if they hear anything, if they see anything, they have to report it to the board. And faith leader has to get approval from the board and plus to the community leader if they are about to conduct the ceremonial of the religious marriage. And that's a great example because we sometimes hear that some community leaders uh, can be gatekeepers. And by that, I mean, if the power is in hand of one person, uh, it might just means that uh, the information might be transferred in the wrong way or people might only have, uh, because the power is in hand of one person, uh, especially women might not be able to safely access services, uh, usually because of yes. the patriarchal structures of the communities. Uh, community leaders are men usually. so That's correct. Yeah, yeah, so women cannot access services safely in that case. Um, so yeah. with the example that you just gave me, do you think that women now can access services, family violence services, more safely because of that board that has is consistent of many people, not just one person or two people? Uh, all I could say is that I really hope so. The idea sort of it is that recently, they has been established and uh, this is just about ideas at the moment but putting it into implementation is really hard and one thing that i'm really really working with uh, the community to host uh, to have our own designated community center in that community center i'm really really advocate for um, uh, having access that uh, community center to be accessible to all um, despite the race, gender, culture, religious view, political views, and so on, which means that there's a lot of issues that we're currently struggling with. One of them is empowering women to uh, uh, learn driving classes and how to learn driving skills. Well, men working, you know, uh, quite 10 hours, and their narrative is that, you know, I am the provider, I am the bread bringer, I am the protector which brings a huge responsibility uh, on them 
in financial capacity and creates a lot of financial dependency of the woman and puts a huge responsibility on the woman with limited English, with no driving license, how to manage children in terms of transportation, schooling, and so many other issues. The community sees it as a struggle, the board sees it as a struggle, and that uh, it undermines the authority of women and does not promote equality. So that's our biggest concern for now, is about to empower the woman to be able to uh, become more independent. We hear that, you know, the working with uh, migrant and refugee people and community, it's best to uh, have practitioner who is from refugee and migrant background or is working and live in that specific culture. So. Okay. In, in regional areas, you're saying that that might be actually a barrier because they might know that person and they might mm. be worried about their confidentiality. Uh, yeah, and just to be worried about being judged. And a lady, like, uh, were really in a district, uh, district uh, status and they rang me four times and I was like, right sitting next to my partner having a, a pizza together. And I said, um, I need to call this, <clears throat> answer this, because this has been like four times. So when I answered, this lady were crying and asking for help and said, what should I do? Can you go to the station with me and do interpreting for me? You know, the only place, the only person that she feels safe with. And I said, I can't do that, unfortunately. Um, that would jeopardize my work that I do with Maine and plus I'm not working. And I'm not, uh, it has to go through my organization, which is Language Loop, for me to be hired. I can't just randomly do interpreting. Uh, so I need to get paid in a sense that. And I said, the best way to do is go to the station and let, uh, ask some, one of them to contact me straight away. And I will guide them to ring uh, interpreter line, WITS interpreter line, and ask for a female interpreter. That could be interstate. Nothing to do in Mildura regional area, and strictly uh, inform them not to have an interpreter from Mildura area. And she followed exactly the same procedure. The police uh, officer rang me, and I advised them, and they said, "Yep, we know the procedures, we know the protocol, because I already uh, work with uh, Victorian police closely sometimes as part of my work, and they're well uh, trained in again around cultural competency and so on." and they ring and requested uh, an interpreter. But unfortunately, they could not find a female interpreter. Yeah, as long as services are equipped uh, with cultural practices and cultural lenses putting it there without any bias to us, that's uh, concerning. And that downplays and undermines the authority of women seeking for support because the door is basically shut to begin with. Uh, a huge, uh, a huge uh, barrier is right at their home dynamic, within the home dynamic. The men might be really, really coercive and abusive that this woman may have lost faith in humanity to begin with. Uh, this could be, uh, you know, threatening behaviors from the partner, you know, saying, I will deport you, you know, you're under a marriage visa or this or that, or all those gaslighting that actually happens. And that is the abusive behavior the men actually holding against their partners. Yeah, that's one barrier. And the other barrier could be the protective factor. The protective um, barrier is that uh, what is going to happen if I leave him? What happens to the children? Is it going to take the children or do I take the children? May not, even the woman may not have the right information to begin with to act based on those information. May not be uh, 
having enough information to understand what family violence is really, really about. What does really family violence is? And if you do seek support from family violence services that are specialized in family violence, then what are that support gonna look like? Is that uh, an advantage or is it further disadvantage? Um, then we talk about lack of communication. If I actually able to improve my English, why would I need an interpreter that I cannot trust? That I'm worried about that, yes? So, you know, communication becomes a huge issue and that brings it a lot of responsibility to the service coordinations. Do you have the right information in the languages? Do you uh, actually have cultural, culturally, uh, you know, trained practices? Are you actually culturally informed service? Are you actually culturally trained to, uh, you know, be able to practice and understand the issues that refugees and migrants are going through? Zia, you talked about uh, women not having enough information about family violence or basically maybe their rights. Yeah. Uh, you gave an yeah. example of they will not know uh, if they leave the relationship, will they have the children or the partner will have the children. How yeah. do you think is best for services or organizations who have funding or budget to work in prevention of violence to provide this information to women in community? And this is another example of it that recently we established, our organization established a head-to-head -head program. Head-to-head -head program is a mental health during COVID-19, during this crisis. Yep. And the person who is leading it uh, wanted to promote this program and actually asked me, how are you actually able to promote my program? I said, 21st of March, Sunday, me and my community, we're running the uh, Eid celebration, the New Year celebration. We have it outdoor barbecue. Why not coming, uh, you know, why not I actually introduce you? You talk about your program to the men here. I do the language support. And then I will actually ask my partner or someone else from the female perspective, and they take you there and you promote your language there to the women that are actually there. So men and women sit separately because of the religion and the other um, restrictions that prevents us that we, you know, socialize and gather um, together. So. You know, children going playing soccer or football or whatsoever, playing around together, women sitting together, men cooking the barbecues and the kebabs, and we take it to our partners and the women, and they have it, the kebab, and then later on, we have it, this kind of kebab, and this person wanted to promote, and I said, they will be, this will be the best opportunity. And the other thing is through community functions. If we have multicultural festival, if we have each celebration or Ramadan gathering, refugee health nurses do that all the time. They go to the women when they have women's gathering. Thank you, Zia. You're listening to Making the Links, a prevention of violence against women project. You may be aware that, uh, as we know uh, from research, that refugee and migrant women access services at a very late point. And, That's correct. Yes, and it is also known yeah. that women may engage with a family violence service after years of abuse and family violence incidents. So I guess you agree it is very important for practitioners uh, at family violence services to know that they may only have one chance in engaging yeah. women with migrant and refugee background who is seeking help. That's right. 
I really like to know uh, what are your recommendations for these practitioners? What are some of do's and don'ts, if you like? If you can give us uh, examples, what should they do? What they shouldn't do to engage this woman and keep her at the service to be able to help her and support her to keep her safe? Mm, that's great. I personally believe around uh, when we all have contracts to sign as a job, what are we actually um, signing in? What are our um, work at the end of the day that we are achieving? Is it really, really, if we are working in family violence and prevention of it, is it? What are we preventing and what we are achieving? Is it a safety of women and children as number one? Taking, uh, is it like the second one would be, is it the men's responsibility to take uh, ownership of their own abusive behaviors and try to change and stop? Simple as that, yep. If we are upholding those two, that yes, the men has to take full responsibility for their abusive behaviors because they are in power and control. They are the ones that are abusive. So let's work with that and supporting the change process. And uh, having that in mind that, you know, we're not undermining the authority of women and supporting them feel safe and um, respected. What it actually really means by being safe. Is it being safe in a refugee uh, accommodation with unemployment, with lack of engagement from the community and feeling shamed and so on because we are actually cutting the court without any oxygen support? Or are we actually addressing the underlying issues and the underlying factors that plays as intersectionality or layers upon layers of issues that this woman is nearly drowning into? Yeah. So really looking at from a practitioner lens to see what is this person's condition? What happens if this person had to be removed for them to be safe and respected? Is it their visa going to be a barrier? Is it their cultural connection as a social dynamic going to be a barrier? Is it going to be shame? Is it going to be reputation? Or their family members that live in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, or Iraq, and all of those areas of Burundi are actually being under the thumb of this person, the partner, that this per partner would actually invest and sell the house. But that could be somebody's reality. This could be reality that this person might come a very important uh, environment and married this rich man, this man, rich man could entitle to own this person's life. And whose fault is that? Is it the man's or is it the woman that needs to be removed? To me personally, we have to engage the man and really say hi. That is not really, really the Australian values. Where are you going with this? What do you want to be remembered as a parent, as abusive parent, or you know something really means to you? those kind of engagement and really really sometimes it's better to live with perpetrator um, but safely having intervention order in place that the men cannot commit family violence let them uh, come to a service that actually be informed and talk about what is family violence family violence is physical abuse neglect harm verbal abuse emotional abuse financial abuse or you asking someone else to do it for you indirectly and that is bringing a family member to point the gun to this family uh, of this woman in, back in overseas, or it could be just threatening them with the financial, you know, that if you walk away, the next day I'll do is sell the house. You know, all of those things can play a huge part that the practitioners need to understand the intersectionality 
that risk that put her more in risk. And we offer them something really, really precious. As a practitioners, we offer them safety and respect. And we ask them to be able to come to us safely and how we can provide that, how we can provide a safe space for them to be able to talk to us. You know, communication, whose communication issues are there? You know, this woman could speak four languages, but the English may not be the only one. And how many practitioners can speak? It's the other one. And I'm not putting um, this shifting responsibility to women or shifting responsibility to the men or the, to the practitioners, but as a collective, as a community to prevent family violence, we have to work together. It cannot be done on one person um, solemnly. And rather than putting on a blame game that whose fault is that, let's identify the gap, identify the issue and resolve the issue that actually promotes safety and respect for the women and including the children. That was great. Thank you, Zia. Such a pleasure <laughs> talking to you and listening Thank to you. someone who is working closely with migrant and refugee communities, especially in regional areas. That's not an easy job. Thank and you. Yes. No, it's not really. Um, so much issues, so much issues to um, deal with. But as long as we have our goal in the back of our mind that, you know, today's Today's, uh, today, you know, that I do work, I wake up, it is fruitful and promote safety for women and children. I think that would pretty much be it. This was presented through Making the Links, a prevention of violence against women project coordinated by MCWH and funded by the Australian government's Department of Social Services. People impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse can contact 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732, a 24-hour national sexual assault, domestic, family violence counseling and support service. For help in your language, contact InTouch at 1-800-755-988 or visit intouch.org.au. They provide legal support no matter what your visa status is. For the men's referral service, call 1-300-766-491. Lifeline telephone 1-3-1-1-1-4. Service is available 24-hour a day for suicide prevention and crisis support. You can also get free translation support through TIS on 131-450 and ask them to call any of these numbers for you.